This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Making a little bit more room on the shelf. It's episode 459 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Taking a little bit of a break from the guests this week because I want to introduce you to a new show that we've got called Mission Collect. Going to be more of a visual medium since talking about collectibles, so going to be happening on Instagram, on TikTok, and on Twitter as well. So I thought I'd do a little bit of collectibles talk. This week, talk about, you know, some of my favorite brands, you know, some of the new stuff that's out there, you know, certain things that you can, you know, maybe collect to save money, but still show your fandom at the same time. So, you know, getting a little bit of a collectibles talk this week. So I think that that's going to be really, really fun. Looking forward to doing that and telling you more about the new show we've got going on. Also going to talk about Mandalorian season three premiere. I'll do that with spoilers. Going to do spoiler free review of Gotham Knights. From the CW, got to see that a little bit early. Also, the new movie, the movie Devotion. If you missed it in theaters, it's out on Blu-ray and 4K now. So I'll talk about that. Some Hellboy news, a ton of trailers to talk about, and a very interesting Stranger Things story as well. So I think it's going to be a fun show this week. Let's kick it off a little bit different and talk about The Mandalorian season three. We'll do that review first on the Down and Nerdy podcast. This is writer Zach Kaplan, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. The quest for redemption and the exploration of Mandalore could be on. It's season three of The Mandalorian, which is already streaming on Disney+. Plus. First episode dropped this past week. Another episode coming this coming Wednesday. I want to give you my spoiler-filled review of the first episode of season three. And I've already seen the second episode of season three, So, but I really can't say anything about that but what we saw in this first episode is kind of what we expected right i mean i'm seeing a lot of of posts on social media and a lot of reviews saying you know you know this one didn't you know it didn't wow me it doesn't there was no you know big wow factor or anything like that and i'm thinking to myself okay not every episode has to have that big popping wow factor this first episode of season three to me was a stage setter for what is to come in this season, and it is a reiteration, by the way, of things that we are of storylines that we kind of have already seen, and saying, okay, this is the direction that we're going in. Well, the direction that we're going in is Din Djarin trying to get redemption in the eyes of his fellow Mandalorian for removing his helmet, you know, with Grogu and everything like that. So that is what he's on the quest to do, and that means going to Mandalore 
and you know bathing in the waters and you know having proof of that and that is the only re- the only way that he can redeem himself and be a Mandalorian once more. That is his goal. His one goal so far this season. Now, could things change and circumstances change as the season goes on? Sure, but this is what this is what he is setting out to do in the beginning of this season. And and you get to see a lot of stuff. There's there, there's some definite callbacks in this episode. We get to see him go to Navarro to try and get IG-11 because he needs a droid to help him go to Mandalore. That doesn't go so well as you as you saw in the episode. And he's trying to find a part. He's he's hell bent on getting IG-11 repaired to try and assist him in that. You know, sends his quest on a completely different path. But what we also get to see is Grief Karga is is kind of the Grand Magistrate of Navarro now, and Navarro looks completely different. Have you ever had like a neighborhood in or or a, or a part of your neighborhood or a part of where you live? It's always been run down. It's always been just complete trash. And then all of a sudden, one day they decide to put like a really nice park there, luxury apartments or something like that, just out of the blue and it looks completely different. That's what Navarro looks like now in The Mandalorian. From what we saw in Episode 1 to what we see now is completely different. I mean, the bar is now a school. We get to see, you know, the pirates and all the things like that and, you know, the tension that was there. And, by the way, Grief still has it. If you thought Grief was just a magistrate that was going to sit up there on, like, as a ruler and he... Yeah, no, 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 no. No, he still has his swag, and he, he that was on full display in this episode. And he actually wants Mando to be his marshal, which I think would be really interesting if if we were talking about, you know, a season of of Mando as the marshal of Navarro, although it seems like they've got things pretty well under control there for the most part. And the pirate, I actually thought the pirates would be a bigger problem for the beginning of the season, and it would kind of derail. It would be the, you know, that derailment of what, Mando had set out to do in the beginning of this season, but it really wasn't, at least not in this episode. Anyway, and I thought that that was interesting. It was, you know, you could have taken the shiny object and taken your eyes off of what your story focus was, but they didn't. They absolutely stayed focused on their main character and his story. Does that mean the pirates won't be back? I think that they'll probably be back at some point, but... I love that they decided to say, no, wait, we've been teasing this whole Mandalore thing for a while now. We're going to stay focused on that. And they're also going to stay focused on the bond between Mando and Grogu. And you see the, you know, the, the, the din, the din daddy, right? You see that, you see that on full display in this episode. And you also see him teaching Grogu to be a Mandalorian and what it means to be a Mandalorian and teaching him about navigation and things like that. And so he's grooming the young lad to be a Mandalorian at some point because Grogu has made his choice. He's made the path that he wants to make, and which which was incredible when we saw that in Book of Boba Fett. And I think that it's interesting that this episode does kind of go on to the assumption that maybe you didn't see what happened in Book of Boba Fett, but without you know beating it down and making it so it's an entire episode of just in case you didn't watch this, here it is. There were enough nuggets and winks and nods there to help you understand what's going on currently even if you didn't see it and you probably did anyway I mean they're not stupid they know that you probably watched that especially once you saw the episode recaps and you realized you know oh well so we do we get some Mandalorian story in this you probably at least went to back to watch those episodes even if you didn't enjoy Book of Boba Fett but it this this episode does a good job of resetting all that, but this is the the whole trip to Mandalore thing is is something they've been teasing for a while, and to kind of move keep continually moving away from that payoff, I think would have been a mistake. And I love that they're not making that mistake. And you see him go to Bo-Katan and tell him what his intentions are as well. And things are clearly not going well for her. And I, you know, my trust level wasn't with her at the beginning of as we headed into the season. I'm starting to trust her a little bit more. I think things are different for her now. She has a different perspective. Now, could that change with the snap of a finger? Absolutely, it could. But only, you know, only time will tell as to whether or not that's actually going to pan out. I do want to address something, though, that's getting a lot of attention. And I'm actually surprised at how much attention it's actually getting. And that's the whole Cara Dune thing. You know what happened with Gina Carano. We've all seen the news about that, right? Here's the deal. 
it's very much explained why she's not a part of the story anymore. It was very smartly explained, by the way, and she's basically been written out of the show. But my point is, is that I saw more coverage in articles about the whole explanation of Cara Dune than I did actually talking about what happened in this first episode of season three. And to me, that's like, why? Cara Dune is, is certainly a character that a lot of people liked. I'm not going to get into what Gina Carano said and anybody's feelings on Gina Carano. To me, that's irrelevant at this point. At this point, it does not matter. That choice has been made for us, whether you like Gina Carano or you don't, it's a done deal. So what she said or did or whatever, whatever you may like about her, not like about it, it's immaterial at this point. So to then go back and make that such a huge focus of the coverage of this, you know, third season of a major show that she was a part of, not major enough of a part of for this particular story that they're telling for people who are covering this show to just really just hammer in on that. And it's just, you're, you know, basically you're trying to gaslight people and that frustrates me. And I, and I feel like that's something that needs to be addressed in that people have very strong feelings about Cara Dune's character and Gina Carano one way or another. And that's fine. But that's not what this story is even about. She was a part of this story, but not a major part of this story. She was a, she was, she was an assist. Basically, she was a secondary character, whether you like it or not. Okay, so for her to be talked about this much for a split second scene of explaining why she's not there to me is just insane. Why? What? You know, letting something live rent free in your head for that long for what ends up being no reason whatsoever. is just it's weird to me. I don't know why why that was such a huge, huge deal for a character that, you know, maybe you liked, maybe you didn't. And maybe you're still upset about what Gina Carano has said or done or whatever. But it's, you know, let's let it go. I mean, it's it's done. It's done. She's off the show. It's over. Why it's getting talked. And, and I'm, I'm just as guilty of it as, as anybody else, except for, for the fact that the way I'm approaching this and telling you about it is that I'm surprised that it got as much attention as it did. And I think it's sad that it did because really what we should be celebrating is is the start of the third season of The Mandalorian, which I think is going to be an amazing season. And I thought this was a good first episode. It's only going to get better from here. That's all I can say right now. That's 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 as much information as I can give you on where this thing is going. And that's every Wednesday you can watch The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. I can't wait for these remaining episodes. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of The Mandalorian Season 3 premiere. Up next, we'll switch gears and talk about something that's not going to be out for a couple weeks. Yeah, I could talk about Gotham Knights, the premiere of that show. I got a chance to see it early. I'll talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book creator Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So how do you show your fandom? No matter what it is, large or small, you probably have some sort of something either on your wall, on your shelf, on your desk, at work, that shows what your fandom is and what you celebrate the most and that's part of what collecting is all about that's one of the reasons i actually started a brand new show that i've got going on called mission collect and basically it's going to be unboxings it's going to be fun toy hunts and things like that me sharing experiences with my personal collection and talking about some of the things that i'm excited about coming up and what you might be excited about as well and you know that's one of the reasons i wanted to start the show because i've always been passionate about collecting i haven't really gotten a chance to do much of it in the past few years, and I thought this would be just a good chance to jump right into it and, and talk about it with you guys. If you're not already following the new show, by the way, you can find it on TikTok at Mission Collect Show and at Mission Collect on Instagram as well. And it's kind of a visual medium, obviously, so it's going to be a lot of stuff on Instagram and on TikTok and on Twitter at Mission Collect as well. So follow there, and that's where you can find a lot of the stuff and join in on the conversation. But I wanted to bring that here to the podcast as well, A, because you might not know that I have this new show going on, and B, because there, there is some exciting stuff going on right now, and I think that it warrants some discussion, and this is kind of a way for me to talk about it a little bit longer. And one of the things that I see from a lot of people is that, you know, you see some of these just amazingly detailed brands, and there's even, you know, no matter what the dollar amount, there's some really amazing stuff 
out there that you can get that's very affordable, but also if you've got the budget for it to really, really spend a, a decent amount of money. And I by decent, I mean like $500 plus on something that's going to be almost a spitting image of that character that you love so much. I'm, I'm looking at like a sideshow collectibles, hot toys, things like that. So, I mean, you're going to spend the money, but at the same time, if you've ever seen any of these things in person and I have at Comic-Con, it's the, the detail work on these is incredible. And the size of these things, I don't, I don't think you understand just how big some of these sideshow collectibles and hot toys really are. They are massive. So, I mean, you're getting what you pay for. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And the way that they connect together is just really, really great as well. They use like a magnet system or something like that. It's really, really incredible how these things get, get put together and how they're so interchangeable, whether it be the bus, the figures, they, they even like the vehicles, things like that. It's it's all just immaculately amazing. But, you know, not everybody has the budget for five, six hundred dollars, you know, sometimes more than that for hot toys inside your collectibles. Do I recommend them? Hell yeah, I do, because they're amazing. But at the same time, you know, part of collecting sometimes is affordability. And I'm certainly in that boat right there with you. You know, I got three kids at home. I've got a wife. I've got, you know, I have a family to support. I don't make a ton of money. So, you know, I can't always, you know, treat myself to something like that, even if it's something that I that I really, really enjoy. So I, I look at stuff like, you know, I think Diamond Diamond Select is an, an incredible brand. Their gallery statues are amazing. I mean, it's PVC. If you don't mind that, I mean, it depends. I'm not really picky as far as material goes for statues. I just want it to look good. I want the pose to look good. I want it to be a nice representation of the character. I want it to be this the suit that I like and things like that. That's kind of the things that I look for when I'm collecting. And I look at Diamond Select and they have so many great licenses for Diamond Select. It's not just Marvel. It's not just Disney. They also have a whole bunch of DC stuff as well. So, I mean, it's certainly a wide variety that you can collect from Diamond Select and they have, and they certainly have the cat the back catalog to prove it. I think they even got like John Wick and some other things. So, I mean, you can really expand whatever your fandom is. And I mean, you're talking about like a $50 price point or somewhere around there most of the time. So, that's not terrible and you're getting a really satisfying product as well. I have my Mandalorian Diamond Select statue that I got on May the 4th last year on Star Wars days. And, and I love it. I still haven't taken it out of the box because I'm afraid to take it out of the box. But, you know, that's one of the things I love. I'll get to, un, you know, box and unboxing and all that stuff here in a couple minutes. But my point is, is that there are certain steps that you can take to enhance your collection or get something that you really want without necessarily breaking the bank if you can't. You know, there's you've always got your dream list, right? Like no matter what you collect or what you love, like even if it's cars, you've got that dream car on your list where you go, I'd love to own this car someday or something like that. Depending on what you what, what you love, you've got that thing that you'd always love to have someday, right? But you, you know, it might take you a while, but you know, you'll get there eventually. And then until then, you still want to celebrate with the things that you love, right? So, and for some people that's Funko Pops. And I, and you know, if that's you, that's incredible. I have some Funko Pops. Is it my favorite brand? No, probably not because I like a little bit more detail. But, you know, there's certain things you can only get as Funkos. And I've certainly done that. I, the last Funko I bought was at Target Con this year. I got the Spider-Man 300. You know, you got the comic book cover that's there that's kind of on a black backsplash to the black Spider-Man suit pop. It's kind of attached to it. And it was really cool. I liked it. So, you know, Funko's expanding their line. And that's in a very, very smart way. It's not just the Funko Pops anymore. You've got these dioramas that they have now that they're starting to do. You've got those comic book backsplashes. They've even got ones with album covers with pops of famous musicians and bands and things like that, which I think is super, super smart. So you, they're understanding that they're a collector's brand for the most part. So they're expanding into that and making it, uh, making a better way for us to display these figures, these Funko Pops, and giving us a little bit something extra. So I really credit Funko for expanding their brand and understanding and listening to the people that are buying their products, right? And I will say that, you know, Funko Pop collectors are one of the most passionate groups of collectors I've ever met in my entire life. Not only do you have a ton of them, I've, I've watched Funko Pop collectors try and catch these chase pops you know that are just it's it's like a different suit different color variation certain you know there's a subtle difference there and they they will comb the globe to find these things and you know it's, it's the thrill of getting lucky too 
when you're collecting, right? Because it's not just Funko. There's other brands that have Chase figures as well. But the feeling of, I know that buying online is all the rage, right? And I certainly do it as well. I've I've pre-ordered many a, many a figure recently. I, I I always buy my statues online typically because that's the best place that I can get them here where I live, for the most part. So I understand that. But there's something about walking into a store, right? No matter what store it is, whether it be a comic book shop or, or a, like a Target or something like that. There's nothing like walking in there and finding that thing that you've either been looking for or that you've been waiting on, or sometimes the bigger thrill is not finding something you didn't even know existed yet because, the, you know, the, that news just kind of slipped by you, and you see it there, and you just grab it, right? You don't even hesitate. You might scan it to find out what the price is, but you don't really hesitate to grab it, right, because you're just so excited about it, and that's one of the things I love about collecting is, is that thrill of finding something that looks really good that you really, really wanted, and, I, and one of the other brands I want to credit is McFarlane. I think McFarlane Toys has really done an incredible job of, well, first of all, their DC multiverse figures have been incredible. Now, are there some that aren't fantastic? Yeah, but they put out so many that there's way more hits than misses. And if you look at some of the lines they got coming out, this Dark Knight trilogy line that they have coming, I've already pre-ordered two of the four figures because they're just, the, the, the detail's incredible. And you're like, okay, so, you know, why do this now? Why? Because... You know, they didn't get a chance to do it the first time around, so they're getting to it now. And they've got the whole build-a-figure thing where if you get all four, you can build Bane, which I think is really cool. I know that Marvel Legends does that, too. I like the build-a-figure line, but at the same time, you know, maybe you can't get all the figures or you don't want to get all the figures, right? Maybe there's one that you just don't like out of the four, and you know, then you're one short on the build-a-figure. But that's when the collectibles community comes in, and you get help from your fellow collectors, who are in the same boat as you are, right? Well, maybe they got a certain figure or an extra or something like that. They've got the extra parts to spare, and you can trade off or something like that. So Build-A-Figure is a neat feature if you're a series collector, right? But Or if it's just a figure that you really want, you just you know bite the dust and, and buy it anyway, right? So you, so you can build the figure. But you've got that line. You've got the, a Titans line that they have coming out. Some of these page punchers have been incredible, especially the Injustice ones. I just got the Green Arrow Injustice page punchers from McFarlane. And again, that's a comic backsplash where, you know, if you don't want to open the box, you got the comic in the background. You've got the figures standing up right there and you got all the cool accessories right there with it. So, I mean, that is an incredible line. They've got the movie Maniacs that they're bringing back, which is, you know, highlighting certain movies. Although Ted Lasso, not a movie. I'm just going to just going to throw that out there right now. I'm not mad at them having a Ted Lasso, but I, I, it's not a movie. So I don't know how you can put that in the movie maniacs line, but I'll you know back off on that a little bit. But you've got a Harry Potter. You've got a Looney Tunes. You've got a Wizard of Oz. You've got the Wicked Witch there as well. So And that's part of the Winter Showcase that's, that's been going on this past week. But there's just always something new and exciting coming from McFarlane. They've got the Vox Machina and... and also, you know, Sideshow Collectibles has released their line of Vox Machina statues, but the Vox Machina figures that are that are available for McFarlane are pretty darn good, too. They've got a Dragons line that's out now. Their Avatar stuff has been pretty good. So, I mean, that's another brand I want to shout out for sure because I think that they're really doing great things. And, I mean, if you look at Hasbro, their G.I. Joe Classified series and the G.I. Joe line lately has been knockout off the charts amazing. I really, really enjoy the G.I. Joe Classified series. As a, as a fan of G.I. Joe growing up, you know, I had the classic figures. I'm not such a, I'm not such a fan of the new retro lines that they have out that try and make it look like the 80s toys because, I don't know, for me, and this is just a personal thing for me, is that those 80s toys, the way they were designed, they weren't the, the best designed toys in the world, but that's what I grew up with and that's what I remember. And the articulation on them were so good, even though they were kind of flimsy sometimes. It was so good that you can't really replicate that today at the same price point and make it make sense. So, you know, you, you get more of like a stiff figure, like an old Kenner line for Star Wars. That's what they've got for the retro series for, for G.I. Joe. And that's fine, right? But... It, it, the look just isn't quite the same. You can't quite capture that. I get why they're doing, but you can't really quite capture that. Like the like the superpowers line from McFarlane. Now I know what you're trying to do, right? I understand what you're trying to do. You're trying to tug my nostalgic heartstrings there 
with these superpowers. One of the reasons that I started collecting comics in the first place years ago was because of that toy line. So I, I see what you're trying to do, but again, you can't really capture that magic again. Although I do like the price point for those. I will say that, you know, five to 10 bucks a pop. I, it's hard to argue with that. So I, these retro figures, I don't really get into as much because of that. But I think the, the classified series, I really, really love. I have several of those. I think that the the Black Series is one of the things that I want to kind of harp on Hasbro about, though, and Star Wars figures in general. And that, you know, you've got about a $25 price point on a lot of the Black Series figures, and I think that's fair, but based on today's standards, right? But then you have certain figures, and I want to call it the Boba Fett on the retro card here for just a second. Now, I know it's a larger figure, but I see that on the peg for 34 bucks, and it's not like an uh, an overly accessorized Boba Fett figure either. And it's not just a Boba Fett figure that's guilty of this, by the way. I want to point that out right now. But I look at it and I go, 34 bucks? No, absolutely not. And I don't know about where you, where your stores are, but it's warming pegs at every, pretty much every store that I go to just because nobody's paying 34 bucks for that. And that's understandable. I know that they did some, Mattel did some Masters of the Universe, Masterverse figures that were about that price point that were maybe even a little bit higher. But you were talking about those were the oversized figures with a ton of accessories that came with them. Like the Beast Man, I think, was, was, is an example of that. But then I look at this Boba Fett, and it's, it's not necessarily basic, but it's not worth the price point either at this point. So, I mean, I, I think Hasbro needs to come down on some of these for sure because I, I know that certain collectors are going to grab it regardless because you don't want to miss the wave and you don't want to over, end up overpaying for it at the end of the day. And I know that there's a risk there, but I can't justify that price point for that figure. When I know that the exact same figure from a different character is sitting right next to it for about $10 less. Like even a Sokotano, that figure is 25 bucks as opposed to the 30, almost 35 for Boba Fett. And I don't understand that at all. The figures are the same size. There's, there's really not any more detail on one than the other. So having that higher price point to me makes zero sense whatsoever. So I really hope that Hasbro gets the message on that and starts adjusting these price points a little bit. They got the message on the new starting lineup figures, the NBA starting lineup figures, and I loved starting lineups growing up. This is a bigger line, again, more detail, more articulation, but they started them out at like 45 bucks. Nobody bought it. Not a soul bought these things. And these were some of those popular NBA players. So they brought it down. They've got a sale still going on, I believe, for 30 bucks. That's where the price point should have been in the first place. You sold a lot more if they were at 30 bucks. So, But as, as you can hear, I can go on and on and on about collectibles, and this is part of what I'm going to be bringing to Mission Collect on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter and things like that. I'll bring some of this energy. I'm really starting to get things going a little bit on that, trying to get more videos out there, trying to get more pictures, trying to get more posts up. So, you know, it's still a little bit of a work in progress, but I appreciate you joining on. And the one thing I want to talk about before I move on here is in the box collectors and out of the box collectors. And I want to make perfectly clear that I don't, I don't care which one you choose to do, or even if it's a mixture of both, right? I think if you want to keep stuff in the box, that's cool. However you want to display your collectibles, I think you have to understand this too, and I, th- and I see people argue about this, is that no matter what anybody else says, this is your collection, right? However you choose to display it, whatever you, makes you happy when you look at that shelf, whether it's something that's in the box or out of the box, whatever makes you happy when you look at that shelf or wherever you display your collectibles, that's what you need to do. And if that's keeping them in the box, great. If that's unboxing them, amazing. If that's you posing them and posting p- certain pictures, and if you're building dioramas and things like that, that's cool too. You do you. That's what collecting is all about. Collect- you're not collecting for somebody else. You're collecting for yourself. Maybe you want to pass this down to your kids, grandkids, etc. someday, and there's you know something to be said for that. But right now, this is yours, right? So you ex- you just go ahead and you do this whatever way you want to do it. Me personally, I'm a mostly out-of-the-box collector. If I get something, I'm going to unbox it. I'm going to display it on a shelf or something somewhere. Now, are there certain things that I might like get a protective case for so it doesn't get all dusty and worn down and things like that? Sure, I'll, do, I'll maybe do that 
for certain things, not everything, but certain things. So, but I still, to me, the box doesn't really add anything to me visually when I'm looking at something, unless the box is like really neat and it has a really good background display in it, then maybe I'll keep it in the box. But for the most part, I'm going to unbox pretty much everything because I want to see the figure. Sometimes I want to, you know, pose the figure, you know, and, and, you know, just pick it up every now and then and look at it. That's what I want to do with my figures. And again, that's a personal preference. This would, this is going to trigger a lot of people, but I have certain Funko Pops that I let my kids play with. You know, they, they don't have, I don't, you know, it's nothing rare or anything like that. Or at least I don't think it is. I'm not, not any of the ones I've looked up anyway, but you know, my kids love, they're starting to really love Spider-Man and Batman and things like that. So, you know, I'll get a basic Batman Funko Pop or Spider-Man or something like that and just let them play with it because why not? They really enjoy it. So I let them play with these figures because, you know, at the end of the day, we are still talking about toys here. Some of them are on the higher end than what we might've had when we were kids. But we're still talking about toys here, and sometimes they're just meant to be played with. Certain ones are not, and certain ones are. And to me, there's, you know, Funko Pops can certainly be fun for kids, so I just let them play with some of them and, and some of the other figures as well. And there's certain figure lines that I understand are, like, built for kids to play with and some n not as much. That, uh, that's why they put the, you know, age numbers on there too, by the way. But I just think that however you want to display your collection, however you want to collect... This is your collection, and you know I'm just here to, to show you what's out there, tell you what I think of certain things, you know, just like I do here on the podcast with movies, TV, and stuff like that. I'm going to bring those opinions to collectibles as well, but because it's so visual, I don't know that it's a thing I would, I'm going to bring to this podcast very often. Every, occasionally, I think I will, but you know, make sure you're following at Mission Collect on Twitter and on Instagram, at Mission Collect Show on TikTok. That's where all the videos are going to be, all the posts. And I really hope you'll join me on there for some fun collectibles discussion because I know that you've got even even a little bit of collectibles and maybe it'll even spark your interest in wanting to collect more as well. That's going to do for my little introduction on Mission Collect and some collectibles talk this week, which was, which was really fun. I've actually had fun doing this. Maybe I will do it a little bit more often. But up next, I'm going to get back to the reviews. We'll talk about the series premiere of Gotham Knights from the CW. I got to see it early, and we'll talk about it spoiler-free next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Richard Harmon from DC's The Flash, and you are listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. The Young Knights of Gotham have themselves in a bit of trouble. Gotham Knights premieres on March the 14th on The CW, and yeah, I'm going to give a spoiler-free review of the premiere, I've got a chance to watch it a little bit early. I've actually watched a few episodes a little bit early. And if you don't know the story of Gotham Knights on the CW, it's a brand new series where basically Bruce Wayne is dead. And the the young Gotham Knights, as the as the you know, the best way I could possibly think to put it, have kind of been framed for his murder. And his adopted son, Turner Hayes, is at the center of that. Now I can't tell you how or why. They end up getting framed for this or the circumstances surrounding it. But it also involves Duella Dent. It also involves Harper and Cullen Rowe. I can tell you that much right now. And these are names you're going to recognize from the comics for the most part. But here's the deal. That's kind of where it stops. And I want to set your expectations for this series, okay? Because I actually want to give you a chance to enjoy this. Because it actually is... It was more enjoyable than I expected it to be. I will tell you that much. Okay, so here's what you need to do. If you have an idea in your head 
about certain characters from the comics. And I want to go ahead and, you know, Tur- Turner Hayes is not, this is not necessarily has to do with Turner Hayes, but it's with Duella. It's with Harper and Cullen Rowe. It's with Stephanie Brown. It's with Carrie Kelly. You have to push aside what you know about those characters from the comics. They are going to appear in this Gotham Knights series in name only for the most part. There are some hints to what their characters are like in the comics, and you'll see that a little bit in this show, but not completely. Like, Duella, there's certain elements of Duella's character that are the same on the show and in the comment, in the comics personality-wise. Same thing with Stephanie Brown. To a certain extent with Carrie Kelly. But these characters are definitely written in their own for this show. And I'm already hearing the complaints. And this is from the trailer. And it's somewhat justified. Oh, well, this is just you know a teenage drama version of Batman. It's the CW. For the most part, this is what they do. And this is what they've been doing for the last few years. You could have made that argument for Arrow a little bit later on. Now, albeit not necessarily teenage drama-y, but you know, certainly a little bit more drama-y than you would have expected when you first watched that show. Now, am I comparing this to Arrow? No. No, I'm only saying that this is kind of just what the CW does. So if you're going into the show not expecting that with a, t- with a group of teenage characters, if you're expecting teenage characters to not portray some sort of teenage drama then that's on you, not on the show. So just be ready for that if you're planning on diving in to this show. Now, what's interesting about this show is is that some of these performances are actually, again, like I said, better than I expected. Olivia Rose Keegan as Duella Dent is highly entertaining. I could tell you that right now. The, the relationship between Harper and Cullen Rowe is you know, a little, just a little bit different from the comics, and I think you'll find that that's not necessarily a bad thing. I thought Stephanie Brown's character was portrayed as, as, as pretty smart. There's also, you know, some teenage angsty stuff about that. I think Carrie Kelly presents a really strong front. I, I expected that from the trailer. You get that from Navia Zarelia Robinson. Excuse me, Navia, for but- butchering your name potentially there. And I, I'll say Oscar Morgan as Turner Hayes isn't bad. You know, is he a, the, a super strong character? I wouldn't go that far. But at the same time, I, th- I think he's not bad. Misha Collins is pretty much what you'd expect as Harvey Dent. You kind of get what you what you get your price of admission there. But the story for this show was a little bit better than I expected, and I can't really tell you why, because you do get a little bit of a tease at who's responsible or potentially responsible, I should say, for killing Bruce Wayne, and. It's kind of what I hoped it would be. I will tell you that much. And it runs deeper than you're going to expect it to be. I will tell you, I will tell you that. There's, there's, certain, there's certain things that you will definitely, your ears will recognize. Certain things and so will your eyes. When you see them and hear them, you'll go, oh, so there's that. And the res- who's responsible potentially for Bruce Wayne's murder, I think is where the interest is in this show lies it's not just with this young cast and how are they going to you know clear their names or whatever or how are they going to you know survive in Gotham how are they going to become this unit this team that they need to be that's not necessarily the most interesting part of this story the most interesting part is who could potentially be responsible how you find that out and how deep does it go sort of thing so maybe you kind of get a clue by what I'm saying as to who that might be, or maybe you don't, but I will tell you that that's not really kept much of a secret for very long on the show. They want you to know who the potential target of the investigation might be as far as the, I'll just call them the Knights, are concerned. So th- there's definitely that. This show also is it's a little bit more brutal than I thought. Actually, I I thought it was a little bit, I don't want to say graphic because I I think that that's not the way to put it, but I think that there's a lot more brutal things in this show than I kind of expected, but the character dynamic between these characters, you don't really get the, the the trailers don't really do it justice. You kind of see the characters individually in the trailer. You don't get to see a lot of them working together 
in the trailer, I don't feel like. So once we finally do get this group together, that combination works better than I thought it was going to. And again, once you get past the knowing that this is kind of a teenage drama going into the show, I think that's going to allow you to enjoy it more. So just expect the teenage drama aspect going in. Don't be surprised by it. You already know it by the trailer anyway. So why you would go into watching this show being surprised by it is kind of on you if that's you, if you're being surprised by that. And if that's not your thing, if teenage drama just drives you crazy, then this show might drive you crazy a little bit. I'm not going to lie because there is plenty of that in this first episode, in the first few episodes, actually, if I want to be honest with you, looking forward. So just if if that's a deal breaker for you, then then just know that ahead of time. But I think if you give this show a chance, you'll be pleasantly surprised by what you're going to be getting from Gotham Knight. So every week starting on March the 14th, same night the Superman and Lois premieres, watch Gotham Knights, give it a shot. Tell me, let me know what you think. So we're a little bit less than two weeks away from that. That's my spoiler-free review of the Gotham Knights series premiere and kind of looking forward just a little bit for the first few episodes. Up next, going to talk about a brand new movie that just hit on 4K and digital from Paramount Home Entertainment. That is Devotion. Talk about that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Victor LaValle. And you're listening to the Down Nerdy Podcast. Flying the skies of the Forgotten War. Devotion is now available on 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray and Digital HD from Paramount Home Entertainment, which provide me with a free copy of this 4K, by the way. All opinions here are my own. And I wanted to talk about this movie because it's, you know, with with Top Gun Maverick doing so well, this is kind of another aviation style movie. It's actually based on one of the most brutal battles of the Korean War, and it, it's called the Forgotten War because you kind of forget about it a little bit, don't you? You learn so much about World War One and World War Two and Vietnam, and you know the Korean War just kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes, even though it was it was extremely brutal as well. And the cast of this movie is one of the highlights for sure. You got Jonathan Majors, who you just saw in Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, Glenn Powell, who was in Top Gun: Maverick, and they actually play Jesse Brown and. Tom Hudner, respectively, who were a couple of the pilots that helped turn the tide of this of this brutal battle in the Korean War. And I got to tell you, this this there was a lot of emotion in this movie. And if you're expecting and going into this thinking, okay, this is a war movie, you're going to get a lot of battle scenes and stuff like that, you you do get some of that. But really, what this movie does is tell you about the building of the relationship between Brown and Hudner, there's a lot, and I mean a lot, of character building in this movie. And it really gets to showcase Jonathan Majors especially, who's a fantastic actor. I mean, he's got he's in Creed Three right now. He's in so many big movies. This one almost gets lost in the shuffle for him on his portrayal of Jesse Brown in this movie. And you get to see... Jesse Brown's very much the, the you know, he's a lone wolf kind of guy, right? He's learned to survive on his own. He's learned to fight his own battles. He's an African-American man in the 50s who became the first aviation pilot in naval history, okay? So you have to think about that for a second. He was the first black aviator in naval history in the 1950s. That was not easy, right? So he had to build up a certain wall, for himself, right? He had to carry himself a certain way he felt. So then you you then enter Tom Hudner, who really tries to befriend him, who really tries to, you know, break down that barrier. And you get to see the two of them sort of build that trust over time in this movie. And the back and forth between the two of them and the portrayal between between Majors and Powell together was just what made this movie for me. And it was Jesse Brown's story and the love for his wife and his family and the fact that all he wanted to do was fly planes, you know, and and the fight that he, you don't really get the fight that he had to go through to get to that point either. They just jump into the point of he's already doing this, which I also enjoyed. So you get the character building, but you don't get a whole lot of the, here's what he had to go through to get there. Now there is some of, here's what he's still going through 
even though he's reached this point in his life, because again, he's an African-American aviator in the 50s. Not easy. Okay. There's no way to sugarcoat that for sure. This is based on a true story. This is based on history. If you know your history, you kind of probably already have an idea of what Jesse Brown was going through and with his own men to a certain extent. Now, I will say that his fellow aviators, there's definitely some inappropriate behavior from some of them, but by and large, those aviators are a tight-knit group. They are together. They are a unit. They stick up for each other, and you see that in this movie, and I thought that that was super, super refreshing to see, but what you get a lot of is Tom Hudner and Jesse Brown together and them building that relationship. And then when they do have to go off to fight into this war, there's a lot that matters. But you get to see mentally what Jesse Brown has to go through, not just what, you know when it comes to others, but with himself as well, that internal struggle that he has. And these moments that happen in this movie are earned by that character building in the beginning. Now, if the, again, don't go into this expecting a ton of action. You're going to get some of that. If you just love beautiful aviation scenes and something that is beautifully shot, then this movie is definitely going to be for you. J.D. Dillard deserves a ton of credit for his direction in this movie. I got to tell you, because this was, like I said, a beautifully shot movie for sure. There's no question about that. So if you're looking for some gorgeous scenery, you're going to get that in this movie. But again, the character work... I thought was really, really good. And it makes, again, this is based on a true story. So if you already know the story of Jesse Brown, you sort of know what happens already. So there's really no spoiler there for you. If you don't, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But what it does is it earns that moment at the end. And it makes it makes the ending of this movie and the build up to the ending that much more impactful. And then you look at the bonus content that's on this 4K and the Blu-ray where you actually get the, you know, kind of the deep dive into 1950s aviation and heading in to this Korean War. And then you get the featurette about the legacy of Jesse Brown as well. So you can go into more of that. And seeing this movie, watching the movie first, if you don't know the story, and then going back and watching that featurette makes you kind of appreciate it even more. And it makes you want... This movie makes you want to go back and learn more about Jesse Brown if you don't know about him already. And that is a testament to everybody involved in this movie top to bottom. So there's some great character work in this thing. It's beautifully shot. There's some fun moments in here as well. It's not all serious. There's some fun moments in here as well. And just some feel-good moments too. So make sure you go get Devotion from Paramount Pictures Home Entertainment, whether it be on 4K, Blu-ray. If you're not a physical media person, yes, you can still get this on digital HD. But don't let this one pass you by, especially if you're a fan of aviation movies. If you're a fan of wartime movies in general, I think that this is one you should definitely be adding to your collection. That's going to do it for my review of Devotion from Paramount Pictures and Paramount Pictures Home Entertainment. Up next, yeah, there's still some nerd news to get there. We're going to talk about some trailers and a lot more. I'm James Witham. This is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, my name is Emily Andrews. I'm the showrunner and executive producer of Wine on Earth TV series, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Riding with the BPRD once again. It's time for nerd news, and apparently time for another Hellboy reboot. You knew it was coming with that announcement's already been made, but now we know who is going to play Hellboy. The first announcement made by a giant freaking robot, which is one of the best names for a media outlet ever. Jack Cassie is going to be playing the role of Hellboy. You might have seen him in Deadpool 2. He's been in The Strain, some other things as well. And this is going to be an adaptation of Hellboy the Crooked Man story. And this, of course, being done by Millennium Media. And Brian Crank, who directed, who Brian Taylor, excuse me, who directed Crank, is going to direct this one. And if you're not familiar with the gist of the Crooked Man story. It's basically Hellboy being stranded in rural Appalachia in the 1950s. He's with a rookie agent. They kind of discover this small community that's haunted by witches, and it's led by a local devil, by the way. And yes, it is the Crooked Man, and there's a connection there from Hellboy's past. Now, I've seen a lot of reaction to this. Some people are happy that Hellboy's getting another crack. Others are like, you know, let's stop trying to do... Hellboy. Now let's let's admit it. They caught lightning in a bottle with Ron Perlman a couple of decades ago. They made one really good movie. This, you know, and then after that, 
it kind of declined. But that's kind of how things go with movie franchises, isn't it? If the first one's really good, things sort of tend to go downhill a little bit after that. Kind of like box office numbers, right? Right? Like the box office number is always huge the first week. And then no matter how good the movie is, it slowly declines after that. And that's not universally true. There's been some really good sequels and sequels that surpassed its originals. And, you know, a Batman Begins in the Dark Knight is a perfect example of that. But, you know, they've been trying to catch that lightning in the bottle from Hellboy ever since, it seems like. And David Harbour as Hellboy seemed like a great idea at the time, right? But that just, the, the movie-wise, didn't work out. Didn't have the right people behind the scenes and, you know, putting that movie together. Now, is this the right time and is this the right combination? I don't know. I think going with more of, I don't want to insult Jack Cassie by calling him an unknown. So I, I'm, I'm, but I will say that, you know, everybody knew who David Harbour was when he took that role, right? Not everybody knows who Jack Cassie is. So there was a little bit more of an expectation attached to the last Hellboy reboot, I think, because David Harbour was involved and everybody loved David Harbour from Stranger Things. So there was a certain level of expectation that was levied on that, maybe unfairly, because of that. So this, going a little bit of a different route, with more of a name that's not quite as known for something that's as huge as Stranger Things, that maybe this one has a chance to go into it and, you know, not necessarily maybe do a huge box office number right away, but, you know, maybe have some long, long-standing success because you're going in there with a different set of expectations. Not lower expectations, but a different set of expectations because you're not going in there you know, with a vision of David Harbour in your head going, oh, this is how I think he should play Hellboy. You're not going to attach that same level to Jack Kessie. So I think this one has a little bit more of a chance to be successful. I think they've got a better comic that they're adapting this time too. So I like their chances with this Hellboy reboot. We'll keep you posted on any updates as far as release dates and things like that as we get them. Lots of trailers to talk about. I want to do this very, very quickly since there's a bunch of them. I want to start with Peter Pan and Wendy, which is going to be coming to Disney Plus on April the 28th. I think it's really smart. They're doing this one on Disney Plus and not trying to push another Peter Pan movie into theaters. Although this trailer kind of confirms what was kind of talked about with this movie all along. And that is that we're going to get more of a focus on Wendy and her family and things like that. So Wendy seems like she's going to be a little bit more of the focus of this particular Peter Pan movie than we've seen in the past because there's, let's face it, there's been a ton of Peter Pan movies. So it looks like they're going to try and take a little bit of a different angle with this. You're getting younger Peter Pan as well. You're getting, you know, I'm seeing a lot of similarities to the original animated Peter Pan classic, you know, as far as character designs and stuff are concerned. And Jude Law's Captain Hook, I'm digging that already. I was sold on that right when I saw him in this trailer. So, I'm excited about this one. I was when they announced it. I normally don't get excited for live action remakes, especially if they've done 70 of them. But this one actually, I think, could be really, really neat. So I'm looking forward to see what they do with Peter Pan and Wendy on April the 28th on Disney+. Plus. Then Disney went and released the trailer for Haunted Mansion, which is going to be coming out on July the 28th. Now, I got to say, this one looks a little bit edgier. Then I would have expected, of course, it's based on the famous Disney ride, and it's based on a, a, a mom and her son. They, they, they move into this mansion, they figure out it's haunted, and they bring in a very interesting paranormal team to try and clear out all of the entities. And I mean, you've got so many great members of the cast in this one. You have Rosario Dawson, Owen Wilson, you've got Lake at Stanfield, you see Danny DeVito's in there, and a whole bunch of others. And it just looks like it's going to be fun, a lot of fun, but at the same time, it's got that little bit of an edginess to it because of the paranormal aspect and it doesn't seem that they're going to shy away from letting it be at least a little bit scary right and but i also for some reason got pirates of the caribbean vibes from this not necessarily it obviously doesn't look like a pirates of the caribbean movie but that the tonally that's the vibe that i got from it so I, obviously that worked out for that franchise so i think that if if that's how i felt i feel like that's a good reaction to this trailer and it just seems like the chemistry between this cast really really works and i love rosario dawson in the mom role and kind of playing that you know hey get these things out of my house sort of role and kind of interacting with the team and her son interacting with the team as well and just the team together i think that this one 
ha- has a chance to be really neat. So I'm looking forward to Haunted Mansion this coming July. Hey, maybe we'll find out more about that at Comic-Con as well. Then you've got Agent Elvis from Netflix and Sony Pictures Animation, which is actually going to be coming out in a couple weeks on March the 17th. This is actually, if correct me if I'm wrong, the first adult animated series from Sony Pictures Animation. Is that right? I think that that sounds about right. But then you get this amazing, and Sony Pictures Animation visually is just as good as anybody else in the game right now. They they just put out some a gorgeous product, and then it's no different here with Agent Elvis. And yes, this is young Elvis, who is also double-timing as a secret agent for the government. And that's as crazy as it sounds, and so is the trailer. You've got, you know, a, a, a monkey who's... You want to talk about Cocaine Bear? Basically, you've got Cocaine Monkey in this animated series. You've got Priscilla Presley, who's going to voice herself in this series, too, by the way. So it's certainly got her stamp of approval. Elvis is going to be voiced by Matthew McConaughey. I can't possibly imagine a better person to voice Elvis in something like this. And yeah, it's Elvis basically going on, you know, being his, you know, rock and roll self, but also moonlighting as a secret agent going on these crazy missions and blowing stuff up. And it just looks like a wild ride that I want to be a part of. That's exactly what it looks like to me. So is it a little bit out there? Is it a little bit crazy? Absolutely. But this is an adult animated series, right? You have to have fun with something like this. Don't bring logic into this. Just don't. Just sit back and enjoy. And, you know, I think that there could be some really interesting and surprising stories that we get from this one from Agent Elvis, which you'll see on March the 17th on Netflix. Then I want to talk about Dead Ringers from Prime Video, which if you if you recognize that name, it is a retelling of the 1988 thriller, which starred Jeremy Irons. But Rachel Weiss is going to be playing both of the lead roles, Elliot and Beverly Mantle. And they're basically twins who share everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. So... They're going to basically push the boundaries. They're going to change all these antiquated practices. You're going to put women's health care into the forefront. But this is a psychological thriller for a reason. And you get to see Rachel Weisz in this. You know, there's some creepy vibes to this for sure if you see this trailer. And I think that Rachel Weisz, you know, you, you show me Rachel Weisz in anything and I'm in automatically anyway. But it just seems like. You know, the, for, the, for the tone that they're going for, for this series, she seems like a perfect fit for the Mantle sisters. So if you want to see this one, this one's going to be coming out on April the 21st on Prime Video Dead Ringers. And yeah, of course, I'm going to have a review of it and take a little bit more of a deep dive when it does come out. It's a limited series, six episodes, so just be ready for that. Really quickly, I want to talk about the surprise announcement that Netflix had of a Stranger Things Stage show coming to more of a Broadway style in sometime later this year. It's going to be called The First Shadow. It's going to premiere in London first. And yes, it is based on an original story from the Duffer Brothers, Jack Thorne and Kate Treffry. And it's going to be 1959 Hawkins. Yeah, you know, regular town, you know, same old, same old worries. Yes, there is a young Jim Hopper in this. You're also going to get a young Bob Newby and a young Joyce. Two, by the way, and I mean, it's 1959. Of course, they're going to be younger. And basically, Henry Creel, this is when Henry Creel arrives as a new student in Hawkins and when his family arrives. And yeah, the shadows of the past are going to be following right along with them. So it looks like we're going to focus a little bit on the Creels and their entry into Hawkins, which I mean, again, after the way they built that up in this past season of Stranger Things and as we go ahead into the final season. I think that this is a really smart move to do something like this and getting a chance to explore that in a little bit of a different way by doing it in a theater style. And it also expands the brand of Stranger Things. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. We've seen this done with a lot of different properties before. So I would love to see this eventually make its way over to the States, you know, maybe on Broadway or maybe touring a little bit because Stranger Things is certainly no stranger to touring around the country either. So I really have high hopes for this. And I hope that, you know, this is something that could be longstanding and maybe something that we get a little bit more of with different properties. And maybe Stranger Things is a good way to test that out. But yeah, stage show, sign me up. I don't know if I'll be able to go all the way to London to see it, but I'd certainly be interested in checking it out. 
That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, make sure you're following at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, at Down and Nerdy Pod on TikTok. Make sure you're following Mission Collect as well, at Mission Collect on Twitter and Instagram, and at Mission Collect Show on TikTok. And then all of this is at Down and Nerdy Podcast.com. And make sure you also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly. And be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.